Illusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer on the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro-seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Aid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Diffusion Science Radio, the most warped space-time in Hilbert space. In this edition, Ian Wolfe investigates how to warp space using zero-point energy, complex-sounding stuff, but it makes sense in the end. And Mark West, our far-flung correspondent, looks at the relationship between sex and sport. And Kashina Allen tells us of the science of toy boys and trophy wives. But before we get among it... Patrick Ruby has this week's news. In a recent episode of Diffusion, we examine the theory that dark energy is responsible for driving the expansion of the universe. This is based on the fact that distant supernovae appear much dimmer than normally expected, which suggests that they are much further away. In this theory, the universe is also thought to have roughly the same density throughout when looked at on a large scale. However, a new idea is challenging both the traditional view of the universe and the dark energy theory. The idea states that the universe does not have the same density throughout, and some regions are relatively dense in matter, while others are like holes with very little or no matter in them. So that the universe is not as big as we think and looks more like Swiss cheese. When light passes through the voids of less dense matter, it might have its wavelength stretched, creating the effect of what was thought to be dark energy by making supernovae seem dimmer. The new model of the universe has been proposed by Sabino Materes of the University of Padova in Italy and colleagues from the US and Switzerland. Some cosmologists have embraced the idea, while others are highly sceptical, believing the evidence for the traditional idea of a relatively smooth universe is stronger. Atomic-sized computers could be the way of the future. Computer company IBM is working with researchers from Europe and the US on building ultra-small storage devices. One way is to use the magnetic properties of an atom to store information. Studying and manipulating the magnetic orientation around an atom is known as anisotropy and can be used to create a computer code for storing data. IBM researchers have been testing this idea by changing the magnetic orientation of a single iron atom on a surface of copper atoms. Similarly, molecules can be manipulated to switch on and off to store data. Atoms in one molecule can be used to switch on or switch off atoms in an adjacent molecule to create an electrical circuit similar to a computer processor. These technologies could lead to really fast nanoparticle-sized computer chips. Bacteria might stay with us a lot longer than previously thought. A new study of bacteria has shown that lateral gene transfer occurs frequently between bacteria and host. This is where bacterial genes get incorporated into the host DNA after infection and can then be expressed or replicated with the host DNA. One type of bacterium, Wolbachia, can even transport its entire genome into the host DNA. 
Typically, it invades worms and insects and migrates to the eggs or sperm cells, incorporating its genes into the host DNA to ensure they get passed on to the next generation of the host. Researchers from the University of Rochester, New York, and the J. Craig Venter Institute in Rockville, Maryland, U.S., made the remarkable discovery. It is thought to be a survival mechanism for the bacteria so that its genes get passed on. However, incorporating new functional bacterial genes into the DNA could be a positive thing, prompting the evolution of the host animal. For example, if a host was unable to make a certain vitamin on its own, but a bacteria that could make the vitamin transferred its genes to the host, then the host might also now be able to make the vitamin. This discovery could change the way we think about evolution. Up until now, it was only thought that viruses such as HIV incorporated themselves into host DNA. And finally, some relationship mathematics. Older men plus younger women equal more children. Austrian researchers have found that on average, a man will have the most children with a woman six years his junior and a woman with a man four years her senior. Such pairings produce 2.2 children per couple on average, compared to 2.1 children for partners of the same age. This may not seem like much of a difference for individual couples, but it can amount to a big difference in a population. The reasons for liking an age gap, evolutionary advantage. Scientists believe men would be more attracted to younger women because they would be more fertile. Women would be more attracted to older men because of increased security. Interestingly, if men and women change partners, both would go for a younger option than before, although women would still be more attracted to men older than themselves. Researchers have suggested that the reason for this is that younger partners are more fertile. Thanks, Pat. And it was me thinking computers couldn't get much smaller. Next up, Ian Wolfe is checking out the inherent energy of the so-called vacuum. Control of the Casimir effect will give us frictionless surfaces and tiny, tiny motors. The Casimir effect is the ultimate cause of friction, and physicists at the University of St Andrews in Britain believe they know how to make it run in reverse using clever quantum optics. They're switching the plus to a minus. The Casimir force already causes friction in the microscopic labs on a chip that are used for drug testing and chemical analysis, and also in the microscopic devices that trigger the airbags to inflate in cars. The theory is that the tinier scale, the uncertainty principle starts to bite so hard that you can get something for nothing for the shortest period of time. For the Planck time of 10 to the minus 37 seconds, light can appear from nothing and then disappear back into nothing. The blip is so quick that they're called virtual photons, but they're real. While the Planck time counts down, they have an effect on the world around them. They appear in every colour of the rainbow. Every colour of light has a different wavelength. Red is towards the longer end, and blue towards the shorter end. 
If you get two plates and place them so close to each other that the space between them is less than some of the wavelengths of the colours of light, then something amazing happens. The light that has a larger wavelength than the space between the plates, it can't appear between the plates because there's not enough space for it. But it can appear outside of the plates. So the space between the plates has less of these coloured photons of light popping into existence and then disappearing back into the quantum froth than outside of the plates. There is less nothingness between the plates than outside the plates, creating a pool. The thicker, more colourful nothing on the outside of the plates pushes on the thinner drab nothing between the plates, and they're pushed together. This is the Casimir force. It was discovered in 1948 and first measured in 1997. The same physicists understood that metamaterial lenses could be designed out of microscopic beads and wires to make light bend in the opposite direction to normal lenses, a negative refractive index. They predicted that these meta-lenses could be used for a cloak of invisibility, and later that year, a real working one was built. They now say that if you get the same metamaterial lens, made really thinly, and put it between the two plates, you would get more virtual photons appearing between the plates than outside them, pushing them apart turning the attractive force into a repulsive force by just switching the sign around. The metamaterial lens does this by transforming space between the plates so that more virtual photons are produced and disappear before their Planck time is up. The tiniest space warp care of a weird lens that works in reverse. The nothingness between the plates is now brighter than the nothingness outside the plates. More virtual photons between the plates than outside them means they get pushed apart by the pressure. The result is no friction at all between the surfaces, and they don't touch. If you have a force that changes quickly between pulling and pushing, then you can use that to build motors and generators. Magnetic fields have been used this way for over 100 years. Tiny nanotechnology motors and generators could be built with devices that can change the Casimir effect from pull to push and back to pull again. The race is on to prove it, as physicists around the world compete to be the first to demonstrate a repulsive Casimir force by manipulating the colour and brightness of nothingness. Thank you, Ian, for another great story. Fascinating and well-spoken as usual. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. And now Mark West takes a gander at the perceived benefits and drawbacks of sex before sport. It is the virile sportsman's eternal question. Should one abstain from a little bit of nookie before a big sporting event? See, now, it's interesting, though, because my captain said, encourage the girls to go out and have sex before the game, but encourage the boys not to. Unfortunately, I was playing on a mixed team where 90% of the team were actual couples. It was quite a good night for the girls, I imagine. Not so good for the boys. So let me, let me get this straight. All the girls are allowed to, you know, enjoy themselves, and the guys aren't. That's what, uh, that's what they said. That's what they recommended. Some candid opinion there, and more of that later on. The question has again been raised, this time with regard to the 2007 Rugby World Cup. Favourites New Zealand have vowed to go without special cuddles for however long they remain in the tournament. 
The All Blacks have conspired methods to lose each World Cup since 1987, despite being indisputably the best team in the world throughout most of this period. It pains me a little to admit this being an Australian, but despite brief periods of dominance by the Wallabies in the Springboks, and a very timely peak at the last World Cup by England, the All Blacks are always the team to beat. So this latest Kiwi strategy to grab hold of the Cup is to lay off the loving. But is there any scientific basis to it? Does sex really have an effect on your physical sporting performance? Or is this a psychological tactic to have the players' minds ready on game day? It is certainly not a new theory. Before the Olympics in Athens 2004, hundreds of athletes pledged not to indulge. However, even more took the opportunity to do the exact opposite. 130,000 condoms and 30,000 packets of lubricant were made available to the athletes. And in Sydney, athletes had a quota of three condoms per day. And this did not meet the demand. This is no real surprise if you think about the Olympic Village atmosphere. Thousands of very fit, very attractive, young and confident males and females from all over the world, probably up for anything without a care in the world once their events were over. Perhaps it was something like a massive backpacker hostel where everyone was rich and attractive without the dodgy locals trying to pick up the Contiki tourists. Do those who abstain have a performance advantage? Love him or hate him, and I think he's pretty cool, WBA super middleweight champion Anthony Mundine is one of Australia's best athletes. However, Mundine abstained for 10 weeks before his first world title fight against Sven Otke. And we all know what happened then. Mundine was knocked out in the 10th round. And I haven't been able to find any reports of Otke abstaining. One of the more amusing sex sport anecdotes is the banning of former US 100 metres champion and 1992 Olympic bronze medalist Dennis Mitchell for showing high levels of testosterone. He had originally escaped ban within the US after claiming that his high levels were a result of having sex at least four times the night before and drinking five bottles of beer. The IAAF overturned this decision and banned him for two years. There is no conclusive evidence that sex the night before an event can have an effect either way on your physical sporting performance, despite what Rocky Balboa's trainer Mickey said, women weaken legs. There are two possible ways sex before competition could affect performance, said Ian Schreira, a sports medicine specialist at McGill University in Montreal, to National Geographic. First, it could make you weak and tired the next day. This has been disproved. The second way is it could affect your psychological state of mind. This has not been tested said Schreier. There is a common perception that ejaculation draws testosterone from the body. Actually, it seems the reverse may be true, as testosterone levels rise in men during sex. Higher testosterone levels are good for explosive sports, such as boxing or 100-meter sprinting. Perhaps Mitchell was telling the truth, and perhaps Mundine should rethink his strategy. Most scientists also now think that the actual act of sex does not really tire you out physically. It only burns around 50 calories, depending, of course, on how you do it. What might be bad for you is if you stay up all night and deprive yourself of sleep, or if it was getting drunk that got you into bed in the first place. 
Sex can also be relaxing, but the actual physical relaxation post-sex does not last into the next day. Indeed, sex with the wrong person could make you more agitated the next day. And whether or not being relaxed is a good thing for sport is another question. Certainly some athletes take caffeine pills before a match, and this caused quite a stir in Australia when the then Wallabies captain George Gregan admitted as much. The effects of legal drugs such as caffeine would far outweigh the much milder effects of sex the night before. I suspect the effect, if there is any, is psychological and differs greatly from athlete to athlete. By locking out partners from their hotel rooms, the All Blacks are creating a very tight team environment which may raise their performance. It is not so much the banning of sex, more the banning of non-team members from their lives. That said, the partners are permitted to stay in the same hotel, if not the same room, and so there may be much sneaking through the hallways at night. The strategies concerning partners on team trips varies from team to team, with the Australian cricket team now allowing partners to stay with the players. Different levels of personal autonomy work better for different teams. There may be some difference here between the sexes. Israeli scientist Alexander Olshanietsky has said that women compete better after orgasm, especially high jumpers and runners. So if you are a female competitor, you can always use the argument on an unwilling partner, it's good for the country. For what it's worth, I'm no international sportsman, but I found that my cricket performance was always best after having enough coffee to make Alex Watson's effort look tiny. I somehow didn't realise my percolator was making my coffee six times the normal strength. I was a fair shy as batsman with a hundred and a couple of fifties under my belt in my late teens, before sex, and more to the point late nights and beer, played a huge role in my life. Nowadays, I struggle. But sport is a mind game, and as you get older, different factors weigh more heavily in your life, and standing around all day in the Australian sun doesn't quite hold the excitement that it used to. I suspect that all sport is quite like this. If you think that sex before a game is going to help you, then it will. The physical effects are most likely negligible, but if you are happy and confident, or feel loved by a partner, then you will perform better. This is how much of alternative medicine works. And if you are ensconced in your team environment before the game, as all professional teams are, and going through the physical preparations, then the physical effects of sex the night before are non-existent. However, if it made you happy and confident, or cranky and disappointed, then that's when the effects might come in. Oh, baby, now let's get down I've found my only international sporting friends who have decided to remain nameless for this particular exercise. Now, you've done a certain experiment into sex in sport before world championships and European championships. Talk to me. Well... Um, at one particular occasion, there was a w- it was the World Championships, <laughs> and we decided to go against the coach's recommendation and have sex before a big game. And how, how did you find it? It was your coach that said that you shouldn't do it. My coach was actually okay. I don't know whether it's a difference between men and women. Uh, yeah, it didn't go down too well with my teammates. <laughs> you told your teammates? Uh, they just kind of noticed that uh, we disappeared somewhat. Uh. Oh, so this was on the day of the game? Uh, maybe the night before, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, th- I think it's good for relaxation. You know, I play as an offence player on the team and, uh, you know, you need to be relaxed and chilled and you need to focus, you know. If it was our defence boys, you know, I want them to be absolutely raging and uh, have it all kept in the can. But, you know, for the offence boys, it's good, good to relax and be chilled out for a big game. 
And you're one of the captains of this team. One of the, it's an international team. Um, do you set an example? <laughs> See, now, it's interesting, though, because my captain said, encourage the girls to go out and have sex before the games, but encourage the boys not to. Unfortunately, I was playing on a mixed team where 90% of the team were actual couples. So how to rectify that situation where the girls come and the boys don't? It was quite a good night for the girls, I imagine. Not so good for the boys. So let me, let me get this straight. All the girls are allowed to, you know, enjoy themselves and the guys aren't. That's what, uh, that's what they said. That's what they recommended. Because I have read that boxers aren't allowed to have sex before a big match either because it weakens the legs. True for women too, it would weaken the legs. Yes, I have heard some of my girlfriends say it's difficult walking directly after sex. Yes, and on that... Um, <laughs> Maybe that's it. You can have sex before a big match, just not good sex. <laughs> be the better bad. the sex, the harder it is to get up and keep going after you know, playing a good game. <laughs> if the sex is really bad, you play really well the next day. And you won the European Championships, yes? Yes, we did. <laughs> so is, there some con- is that that's conclusive proof then? Sex before um, sport, it's good. But maybe only for uh, women and offence players. <laughs> women offence players. Actually, can I just say, at the European Championships, we had sex at the beginning of the week and you played really well and then we didn't at the end of the week and you didn't play so good. So maybe for you individually, it's better to have sex before a big game. Yeah, because I played well in the semi-final and that was nearer to the time of the action. <laughs> it wasn't a semi-final. No, it was, it was a full final. <laughs> a semi doesn't help anybody. <laughs> well, that was far more candid than I expected it. <laughs> so, Eugenia, do you have any comments about my performance? Well, Mark, I've caught you having a bat maybe twice. And I don't know what your performance is like when I'm not there, but um, when I turned up to your cricket match, that is, um, yeah, your strike rate wasn't really so impressive. I think you got one run the first time I, I went along to a match. Can't even remember the second time. I think I was reading the paper. You've caught me having a bat. I don't think I've actually ever scored a single run when you've come along to a cricket game. So my performance is underwhelming. It's just not cricket. And with regards to sex before a big sporting event, as a former national level, da- national level dancer, have you got any comments? Uh, well, when I was a national level dancer, it would have been illegal for me to have sex, so um, I've really got nothing to say. And just to clarify that, she was a national level dancer when she was 13. Thanks again, Mark. I believe I'll consider taking up a sport. And finally, Kashina Allen is here to tell you the science lurking behind the concept of toy boys and trophy wives. Toy boys and trophy wives, do they keep you young? Since 1688, the age of women getting married has risen slightly, while men are marrying at a slightly younger age. Much of this is due to changing social attitudes and the introduction of age of consent laws. Overall, this has led to a gradual reduction in the age difference between spouses. A couple of studies have looked at the life expectancy of a husband as it relates to the age of his wife. It seems that men with younger wives live longer than men with older wives. The older the man is, the more this relationship holds true. It's not linear, however. 
A really young wife will not ensure that you live to a ripe old age. The effects will even reverse if your wife is more than 25 years your junior. It has been theorised that with very large age differences between spouses, social disapproval can take away any potential benefits. The jury is out on marriage to an older woman. One study showed longevity benefits over husbands with wives the same age as themselves, but another showed reduced life expectancy. For women, younger husbands are also better. Women married to a younger man, up to 14 years her junior, live longer than those married to an older or same-aged husband. Why would this be the case? One theory is that, just as spouses are supposed to grow to look like each other, they start to age like the other, averaging the biological age between the spouses. Perhaps the younger spouse helps to keep the older more physically and mentally active. There could also be social or psychological benefits to having a younger spouse. An attractive young thing on your arm at office parties may be more likely to get you promoted, for example. But looking at statistics can confuse cause and effect. Perhaps marrying a younger person won't keep you alive longer. Maybe you are just more likely to attract a younger spouse if you're biologically young or very healthy. Perhaps gold diggers are not doing themselves any favours. They may eventually inherit millions, but marrying the wealthy elderly may keep their spouse alive longer and may reduce their own life expectancy into the bargain. Well, we've come to the end of another chapter in the encyclopedic tome that is Diffusion Science Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with us about any of our stories, send love letters to our presenters, or you're just bored of a Sunday night, send us an email to diffusion at 2ser.com. That's diffusion at 2ser.com. You can podcast the show and find past episodes at www. .diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com Diffusion This Week was put together by Ian Wolfe, Patrick Ruby, Kashina Allen and produced under the cloud of APEC at 2SER in Sydney. I'm your host Ed Pollitt. Please join us next time. We look forward to seeing you again. Stay sciencey.